Ed, what age are you expecting to get your first Lifetime Achievement Award? Well, the government this week have told us that uh, because of Brexit, we're all going to have to be working much, much longer. Uh, So I'm hoping to get one around about the age of 95, because it's normally you get these things when you're about to retire. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in old Louis's case, it's well-deserved, frankly. I mean, I know it all went a bit wrong at the end there, but he did have a remarkable career in football, and, and he was responsible for building one of European's football, one of European football's most memorable and exciting sides. I'm talking, of course, of the team that went away to FC Midtjylland and lost 2-1. Awesome side. I mean, the pinnacle the pinnacle of the beautiful game. Uh, look, his Ajax side in the mid-90s was good and was exciting. Um, how he retrenched from that point uh, over the next 20 years or so. Look, he's going to finish with a... I, I mean, look, we're making an assumption he's retiring, so maybe not, you know. May, I think maybe this is someone at the Dutch FA going, don't think about it. No, don't even think about it. <laughs> You're done, mate. And, and if he doesn't get the hint, they'll build him a, stat- a statue. That's the, that's the next one that normally works. So... Um, He's going to finish with a, a very good record. Not an outstanding record, but a very good one. And he's he's won titles in several countries, um, managed some of the biggest clubs in Europe, um, you know, with some decent success, especially in the earlier, well, the first half of his career. Yeah, and a few shining moments in the latter period of his career. Not, not least of which, of course, was winning an FA Cup with Man United, which is, you know, it's a tangible, meaningful achievement. Obviously, his tenure isn't, won't be remembered as a success, but it's another piece of silverware in, in, a, in a career that was littered with it. So, well done, Louis. We're very glad you're not here anymore. Yeah, the, the, the thing, I, I, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I just keep forgetting that we won the FA Cup. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's that kind of, you know, it's the, it's the defence response, isn't it? My brain is wiping out the Louis van Gaal era. Just wiping it all out. Because it's the only way you can cope. Yeah, I think if I hadn't been there, it might do the same. But it was the first time I'd ever been to see United at Wembley, the, the semi-final and the final. I was lucky enough to go to both. And, and they were so it was such a memorable thing to be on the concourse after the semi-final singing the Martial song for, you know, ages. That was that was easily the highlight of the uh, post-Fergie era. So it's gonna that one's going to live quite long in the memory, I think. Um, as well as all the usual stuff on the show today, we've also got a, a brilliant interview with uh, my friend Steve Burns, who's the former deputy editor of Video Gamer and uh, current, I don't know, chief executive in charge or whatever of a, a company called Special Gun Productions. We talk about United and we give everyone a big uh, warning uh, that we're going to start talking about video games and uh, you can skip ahead for a few minutes. Um, but yeah, that's going to coming up later in the show. Before that, we've got to talk about that Liverpool game. In the end, uh, my general take on that is that they were there for the taking and we didn't take them. I think that's right. Yeah, they had a number of injuries at the back, didn't they? Um, Henderson only just come back from injury. Coutinho wasn't fit enough to start the game. So um, they were. And, and they actually, I don't agree with Mourinho's assessment that Liverpool parked the bus. It's not true, but they did take a slightly conservative outlook. You know, they control. They tried to control the game uh, without really throwing a lot of players forward. And in that first half, I would think that Klopp went into the the dressing room at halftime very, very happy because although they didn't create any chances of any note, really, apart from the penalty, um, they had you know they had a kind of sense of control over the game, and United were kind of playing on the break or playing for moments in the game and actually had some very good ones. You know, it was a strange first half, yep. wasn't it? Because it was quite, quite frustrating. And yet 
United had the chance where Pogba went through one-on-one, where Mkhitaryan went through one-on-one, when Zlatan had the free kick, you know, three outstanding chances, uh, perhaps more. Um, and you kind of felt that that uh, on, on the balance of chances, United should have been leading. Uh, on the balance of control over the game, not so. No, absolutely. Um I mean, I guess let's just talk about it first. I suppose the the subject that's been on everyone's mind is the man with the golden hashtag. Um, really, listen, the hashtag's not his fault. The haircut is his choice, but he didn't play badly because he had a new haircut. Um, but rolling out a massive marketing campaign focused around a player just before the first really, really important game of his Man United career... Probably not the best uh, for Pogba's mindset. He looked shaky. He looked nervous. He looked like he was trying to do it all himself. He looked like a 23-year-old footballer who desperately wanted to prove himself on this stage and that kind of got in his way. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I had no idea if all the marketing stuff really played on his mind at all. I suspect it's much more of the latter. I mean, it was Gary Neville's uh, kind of point of view, wasn't it, that he was trying to do too much and he was kind of overwhelmed by the occasion, which is odd, really, because he's played in a lot of big games. But, he, you know, he's talked recently about, uh, talked this week, in fact, about him coming back to United was a sort of labour of love. He, he came back because he wanted to be at the club, not because, you know, United necessarily offered more money. He could have gone to Real Madrid and Barcelona and you'd think uh, one of those would be a better guarantee right now of of trophies, but he wanted to come back to United, you know, which actually him saying that puts into a lot of context, doesn't it? The way he left and his response to it afterwards, you know, I think a lot of United fans probably got to feel a bit sorry for the way they behaved about that one. But anyway, that's another point, you know, on the day, I think he was overwhelmed a bit by the occasion because he wanted it so much. He knows, you know, he knows what it means. Um, I, I don't think the hashtag or the haircut, has probably had any impact on his performance, but doesn't look good, does it? You know, it, it, it looks like marketing's more important. And we know this was Adidas. Um, and, uh, of course, they're going to pick the biggest game, both for him and for United, of the season to do this because it's the biggest splash with the biggest audience um, and the biggest worldwide reach to United's 659 million followers. I was very annoyed with the, the kind of, for want of a better word, yada kind of approach to like, oh, see, maybe you should play well before you get a hashtag, you know, and the kind of completely, um, the the kind of completely mindless, oh, he's got a hashtag, therefore he's bad. You know, there was a lot of it about and all of it was reductive and stupid, but his performance was really, really, really poor in the first half and quite bad in the second. I mean, much was made by Neville um, on commentary of, of the the problem at corners, um, and rightly so, frankly, although, God, Neville, Neville's attempts to be impartial on the mic in a United-Liverpool game get a bit grating because there's a certain inauthenticity to his hammering United in those situations. Mm. Um, but the the the... the Build-up for Liverpool's penalty was an absolute shambles from all concerned, wasn't it? Oh, total omni-shambles. What a f***ing shower at the back that was. Sorry for the swearing. Uh, but that is just horrendous. I mean, the ball back uh, was not good to Jones. Jones dallies on it. He's, he's obviously not aware of what's around him. You know, Rojo was lucky he got the ball, I think. I mean, he's just kind of had a slash at it and, and not the man. Uh, and then he could have whacked it out for a... Uh, throw in anyway and he's kind of 
tapped it behind and then the ball's come across. It's just a big, long, aimless ball to the back. It's not a particularly dangerous one swinging in or anything like that. And Pogba's all over the place. He's spinning round. And he has no idea where his arm is. He's not trying to hand- no. handle it. He's just going up with his arms, you know, but he has no idea where the ball is at that point. And, you know, you can see that in the freeze frame when the ball's on his hand, he's got his eyes closed and he's trying to head it. Yeah. Horrendous all round. And that, you know, if you think about the kind of the mechanics of body control and all that kind of stuff and the impact that pressure has on decision making, I think that's lots of grist to the mill for the idea that basically, you know, we play out the show every time uh, before a Liverpool game. It's like a rank cast tradition. We play the great status quo uh, and they're awesome. Come on, you Reds, the best football song in history. Um, But in the chorus just goes, use your bottle and keep your heads. And it is ridiculous, but but honestly, if United had just listened to status quo before that game, they might have been okay because they did not use their bottle and they did not keep their heads. It it really looked like um, they basically blinked in the spotlight, and and I don't think yeah. Pogba doesn't warrant, I mean, like, I bet it'll be good against Stoke. And if he's not good against Stoke, I bet it will be three or four games till, he's, till he has another really long spell of excellent games. No, look, you know? he, was, he was good for 10 games in a row before this. You know, one big game, and it is a big game, and a poor performance doesn't make for a failed career or anything like that. But it's, it's unfortunate for him and for United that he didn't have a great game on this occasion. Uh, of course, he warrants he warrants special attention for multiple reasons, but he was not alone in having a bad game. And I, I wanted to talk to you about what you thought of Mourinho's um, selection, approach, subs, um, because I didn't really have any complaints when I saw the starting eleven. But in retrospect, I think actually not that surprising that 35-year-old Michael Carrick can't deal with an aggressive press because 25-year-old Michael Carrick couldn't deal with it either. No, but he's also the player who's kept United's midfield ticking and, and kind of un, unleashed Herrera and Pogba. And and true, he, he couldn't cope with the press. Um, and I thought actually Jan Henderson um, and... Uh, Who's the, who's the third midfielder in central midfield for Liverpool? Oh, I've totally forgotten. Anyway, the three in, in midfield for Liverpool did did very well in that first half, you know, and they basically won the midfield battle, I thought, mm. you know, and they won it in the right kind of areas. Um, and, uh, yeah, sure, Carrick didn't have a good game. Uh, Mourinho changed it around at half time. He's talked recently, hasn't he, about not doing it. He'd have probably done it earlier, right? Five years ago, five, ten years ago, he'd have pulled Carrick off after 20 minutes. Uh, mm. uh, but he's talked uh, about not wanting to do that anymore and, and be a bit more sort of circumspect about making changes. But, you know, he made he made a change and he made a positive change. He brought yeah. Rooney on. Uh, I mean, I'm laughing. I'm laughing at the that didn't really turn out to be a super positive change. No, it did didn't. It? I mean, he didn't have a good game. I mean, he did brilliantly for for United's for goal. goal. He did great for yeah. that, uh, but didn't uh, no didn't really contribute much in that second half. Although the whole United outlook changed, didn't it? So United were yes. very fast out of the blocks after half time. Much much more positive. You know, obviously they changed the the situation around a little bit. You know, had basically had more men coming forward. Um, uh, right after half time, um, and uh, you know, right in the front foot. Now, something else happened in the last half hour of the game. We'll come to that a little bit. I just wanted to go back one step because you said, "What did I think of Mourinho's sort of tactics and substitutions and outlook?" And I, th- I thought it was okay. You know, that I don't think any of us would have been that far away from that eleven. I, I think. Well, personally, I only, only thought there were really two positions up for debate. 
One was around, should it be Mata or Martial or Rashford? Uh, probably not Rashford because he'd be left, you know, on the left-hand side. And it's not his best position, is it? Um, and the other one is left-back. Should it be Blint or Damian? You know, and Damian's a limited footballer, but I thought Mourinho very clearly explained his thinking, whether you agree with it or not. He said, I don't want two footballers going, two full-backs pushing forward at the same time. Um, and he, he believed that, you know, Shaw or, sorry, Blint, in this case, Blint's natural game would have been to push forward, which may well be true. Um, the 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 other decision was on the wing. Do you bring Mata in for slightly more control or Martial to go at uh, the opposition? And we spoke last week on the pod about we expected him to go with pace because United would probably have less possession and attack on the break. As it turned out, United had quite a lot more possession than Liverpool. Um, so the game didn't quite pan out as we thought. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting one. I think this is a great example of the football isn't binary thing because in a way, I can understand all Mourinho's decisions and you can also very easily imagine a different sort of day where they'd worked out better. So I thought Damian was almost an automatic pick at left back. I, um because just because Mourinho does put a lot of store in form and Blint's had a couple of really bad games at left back and Darmian was pretty good against Hull and and given that and the kind of you know like you say the tactical side of it I, I didn't think that was a surprise at all and the Martial decision I mean he was bang on starting him and I thought it was very very questionable to take him off for Mata uh, when when he did. Now, obviously, we got the goal with Mata on the pitch and, you know, it it, it was OK. But but I don't know, the, the, the left-hand side, I mean, there's all these pictures doing the rounds today of like four and five people on Martial when he's got the ball. Liverpool obviously giving him lots of attention and that could have continued to work. And it did feel a bit like we did sacrifice a bit too much to get Mata on, but I completely understood why he'd want to have Mata on the pitch at that point. I mean, this almost feels boring to say, and I sort of apologise to the people who are sick of, you know, this isn't meant as Rooney bashing, but I think if you're going to bring a number 10 on for Michael Carrick at halftime in that game... It's matter, not Rooney. Yeah. Well, of course, like, he's just a, he's a better number 10. Um, although, you know, you can understand why Jose yeah. would bring Rooney on in a big game like that. And also, Rooney does deliver big moments, you know? Not as frequently Absolutely. as he used to do, but he does deliver big moments. And he delivered a big moment did. for for United in the equaliser. You know, he's done very, very well to get to the byline. I mean, it, it started much earlier with Valencia's drive forward, um, got himself a throw in, put in another cross, went very deep, and Rooney's done brilliantly well to get it back across for Fellaini, who's had an impact for the second game in a row. Yes, and again, Fellaini coming on as a kind of, you know, bull in the china shop up front, which, like you say, we'll, we'll get to that bit. Um I wonder whether this will be the last time for a good long time that Mourinho turns to Rooney in a time of need in a big game. Um, because, yep, there was that moment, but his overall performance, I mean, the, the moment that stands out is Martin Tyler saying, is it written in the stars, uh, you know, that Rooney's going to get the winner? And uh, instead, Rooney just like shanks a pass. There's another moment where... Rooney beat, did brilliantly to beat a few people at one all um, and kind of was 
that he, he was clearly trying to line up space for a shot for himself. And in the end, what he could have done was open up a really good through ball out to the right wing, but instead he took a very easily blocked shot. And, you know, it, it really did feel like he was pushing to try and get that incredible Roy the Rovers moment, you know? Um, so yeah, a, a kind of mixed, mixed performance from him, mostly bad, Mata had very little impact on the game, I thought, which I wasn't totally surprised by. I thought Mkhitaryan was pretty okay. I mean, he he missed a a, a very presentable chance. Um, Herrera was okay. Valencia was excellent. Um, and I thought Rocco did pretty fine, um, considering he was having to clean up a lot about after Jones, who uh, another player that it looked like the occasion somewhat got to him. Yeah, well, Jones obviously made a, a very bad mistake in the lead-up to Liverpool's goal. Um, not as composed as we have come to expect from him in the last 10 games or so. Valencia, excellent again. It kind of comes back to that point that Mourinho said about uh, Valencia and or the fullback positions. You know, it's not looking good for Luke Shaw, is it? Um, someone with so much talent can't get anywhere near the team at the moment. Um, and not even pro- in the conversation, is it? Not even in the conversation. And, you know, the, the story went round earlier this year that the United sort of executive had asked Mourinho to be patient with sure. He's a £30 million purchase after all. Um, you know, not quite ready to give up and, and lose a ton more money on that deal. And rightly so, because he's a hugely talented player. The other thing is, I don't mm. quite agree with Mourinho that that's the only option, right? Actually, a lot of teams would drop a the defensive midfielder in there in defensive situations and push both full, fullbacks forward in the modern game, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's perfectly acceptable. Maybe he believes that Carrick hasn't got the legs to do that all the time, perhaps. Well, Carrick hasn't got the legs to do that all the time, has he? That's Yeah. Um, and I wonder if the other thing isn't that this is about the fact that the nature of the game, you know, against Liverpool specifically, doesn't want those fullbacks both bombing on because... Plenty of times this season we've had both fullbacks, you know, around the mm. 18-yard box. Yeah. Darmian started something like nine of the last 15 mm, games. Yeah, no, so. very true, very true. Um, Valencia, by the way, my goodness, it's lovely being wrong. Love it. Like, never, very rarely been more wrong than about Valencia. I never, ever in a million years thought we'd be seeing absolutely blockbuster Danny Alves right-back work from Antonio Valencia. Oh, that's right. I mean, he's a much, much better player than he has been in the last sort of three seasons, I suppose. You know, the, like, think back three seasons, you can hardly think of him being relevant to United. I mean, he certainly wasn't playing much as a right-winger and he is very, very tepid, wasn't he, as a right-winger, just refusing to take any players on. Um, you know, it, Valencia gets the ball and cuts back. Uh, now he's uh, he's you know Mourinho called him a right winger and he's playing like it. He's bombing forward. He's getting crosses in. He's he's uh, been very effective. He created a number of opportunities for United against Liverpool by getting those crosses in, or you know, or as Klopp would call them, long balls. <laughs> God, he's bitter, isn't he? Oh wow, yeah, wow. He he really. I mean, you know, perhaps he should call a minute silence because they didn't win the game. He fits in well. I mean, I like Klopp. I know, I know I'm not allowed to, but I do. Um, he's just a very, very, very bad loser, isn't he? Like the... We didn't even lose. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> no, quite, no, yeah. Very bad drawer. Yeah, I mean, the, the point Klopp made after the game about United basically going for the long ball uh, were made kind of redundant 
in the fact that United didn't play any more long balls than Liverpool and played quite a lot fewer over the course of the season. Now, of course, United went direct, but these weren't straight balls down the middle, Wimbledon style. Nope. Um, no, these were these were diagonal balls aiming at Ibrahimovic and Fellaini. You know, it's a little crude, and that second half was not high on quality. Um, uh, but it was effective for United. I don't expect that United will be playing that way from the start very often. This was times. This was a desperate measure for desperate times, I guess. Um, and you know, you can probably understand why Klopp is feeling a bit angry because his team couldn't hold out for the win. They were hoping to hold out for, and they couldn't hold out for the win. Uh, Rooney was very good. Fellaini's header was great. Valencia's uh, pullback was was impressive. But Zlatan Ibrahimovic is a football genius. That header, is there another player in the Premier League that scores that header? Uh, yeah, there's some decent headers of the ball in the Premier League. But no, maybe, maybe I'll give you Andy Carroll, also a football genius. <laughs> but apart from Andy Carroll, the English Zlatan, <laughs> is there another player in the Premier League? The, uh, maybe Benteke would have scored it. He's, he's good in the air. Who knows? It was a great mm. header. Great, great header. Um, yeah. Andy Carroll, of course, if you've only seen the weekend's football, is a football genius because <laughs> uh, that was some goal. Uh, it was. Uh, he won't do too many of those in his career. But, um, yeah, yeah. look, Ibrahimovic, uh, you know, right in the right position, um, brilliant header, uh, got the goal for United, desperately needed, and he was the man to grab the ball and run back to the halfway line to, you know, to urge his team on. You know, he wasn't glorying in it. He was like, I want a second. Windmilling his arms like crazy to try and get the crowd going. Uh, obviously, the crowd were up for most of that game, um, as we, we knew they would be. I mean, it's it's kind of indicative of progress how disappointed we are with a one-all draw at home with a team like a few points above us in the league. You know, this is... This was really a very disappointing result. I mean, you can't fault a single United player for effort, right? Obviously, you can't fault them for desire and, you know, the very obvious will to win that was on that pitch. And they all kept going right till the end. And it was an important, important, important late equaliser. Not so much in the point it gave us, but in the two points it denied a team above us because, you know, no swing away from Liverpool this weekend in a negative direction. Of course, it's a big missed opportunity, particularly with City. I don't know, I don't know what on earth's happened there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, um, can't fault United's application and effort, sure. And they kept on going. It's now a hallmark of Mourinho teams, and that's great. And of course, fans are going to love it. Can fault the quality Definitely. on the day, Definitely. you know, because it was a low quality game, exciting and entertaining, but a low quality game. And you can also point to United's record against the top six, uh, which is very poor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, very, very poor, you know. So uh, averaging a point in a game against the the five teams above us, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham and Chelsea, you've got a negative four goal difference, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not good. Um, uh, Arsenal have got a similarly poor record as well but this, these are the kind of games that are going to decide who makes the Champions League because it's it's super tight United on 40 points probably safe from relegation now <laughs> but first trophy of the season one you know um, uh, City on 42 Arsenal 44 Liverpool 45 Spurs 45 and Chelsea ahead you know way out on 52 although 
Chelsea not looking great with the, the current Costa situation. You know, they played very well at the weekend. But, you know, it's, it's super tight there. These games where you get a swing from one to the other are going to count for a huge amount towards the end of the season. United have got to get a better record in these big yes, games. Ab- I mean, absolutely they do. Um, and And... The one thing that I was thinking about Mourinho in terms of criticism, again, not meaning this binary, this isn't he's doing a bad job because I don't think that's true at all. But as well as maybe the questionable decision to bring Rooney on, as well as maybe the questionable decision to play Carrick in the first place, um, which I think neither of those are stupid decisions by any stretch of the imagination, there is also part of me that thinks it's actually part of the manager's job to make sure his players' heads are right before a game like this. And that feels like that bit wasn't right. And you can't really write that down on a chalkboard or whatever. And maybe, I mean, this happened plenty of times under Alex Ferguson, the greatest exponent of getting his players' heads right in the history of the game. So this is not to write off Mourinho or anything. But I think you have to count, like, Pogba's performance, just the big game performers, you have to count that performance slightly as a knock against Mourinho or where he's got the squad right now but I I think that 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 is another area that he will improve that's my that would be my guess based on his history and based on the tone of how he's managing United well he's gonna have to do it quite quickly uh so you know those those games to come three of them are away uh away at City away at Spurs away at Arsenal and got the home game against Chelsea you know, they, they, that so is, when does when does that start? Uh, well, the city games comes first, and then I think I, I believe the Spurs, Arsenal, and Chelsea games come much later, April and May. Right, right. So yeah, he's got time to work on that, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, going to be super important. Uh, the United don't have many more opportunities to to mess up. You know, f- five points uh, to to Spurs, isn't it? And, you know, that's two wins uh, United are behind. I, I think you can kind of count any title shot out, honestly. 12-point difference at this stage of the season has got to be too much uh, with other teams in a better position than United. But, you know, now I suppose the goal is, is all Arsenal, isn't it? To get into fourth place and win a trophy uh, in I the mean, Cup. It, so the next, our, our next run of fixtures, there's a lot of Cup action, obviously, which, you know, is is, is an issue in terms of squad management, but should could generate some good momentum. But, you know, so Stoke away, Hull at home, this is just in the league, Leicester away, Watford at home. You'd think that all of those are very winnable games, especially if we approach that Leicester game sensibly. Then come City away, then it's Bournemouth at home, Southampton away, Borough away, West Brom at home, Everton at home, Sunderland away. So you, you should see United pick up an awful lot of points from those games. I mean, I'm not saying they're all gimmies. There's a, there's a few tricky ones in there. But generally speaking, you know, the league is so divided in quality this season between the top six who are as good as I, literally as good as I can remember um, in the Premier League era. I don't think there's been six teams of this quality for a long time. Um, and And then everyone else looks beatable, you know. Um, although, of course, as City found out, like uh, going away to Everton, well, we've got my home, but we uh, it's massive. We beat them away, right? That's uh, no, it was a draw. Um, but that looks like a great result now because Pep Guardiola's City lost four nil Everton. What is going on at City? Well, a total shambles at the back. 
totally. I mean, it's just hilarious. I mean, Everton scored four from four shots, so that's a bit of a freak for a start. But this is not the only game where City look a mess at the back. Um, Of course, they're missing company. Uh, they are they are missing Joe Hart, who's you know a slightly better than average keeper. He's not the Messiah as some would have you believe, and Gary Neville. Um, but um, but they, you know they are they're missing the big saves that Hart does make. Bravo! I think in our first and maybe in our preview show for the season, uh, we talked about Bravo being likely to be a liability. I mean, he was a big flapper when he was at Barcelona. Um, Stick a couple of big guys on him in the Premier League, and he's definitely God. He's horrible, totally horrible. Stones, he's you know, City would take him out of the firing line if they could, because at the moment he's getting targeted. When he gets the ball, the opposition presses through midfield. It's so obvious, and then he's got nowhere to go with it. And he's not just going to launch it; he's going to try and play out, and it's costing City in big games, big moments, and uh, and so they're a bit of a mess. You know, clearly they waited a long time for the Pep project to start, so they're not just going to fire him in mid-season. Um, but this is this is the, uh, I guess, the toughest test that Pep has had in his career because. Yeah, before now he's basically had ready-made sides to take over. Yeah, and and I don't think any of this makes him a donkey or an idiot or any of the stuff that's going around. But he's he's scrambling desperately at this point, and that's got to be good news for United. You know, because that's I mean, it does would it not be at all surprising if they finish out of the top four the way they're playing at the moment, and they're really going to have to turn it around. To you know, they've been worse than. United when they were bad earlier this season for a kind of longer period of time now um they 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 got off to that brilliant start like United did although that's lasted a little bit longer obviously but it's been a complete meltdown and and I must say I'm genuinely surprised that this has happened right but the pattern is really clear when you let when you sit off and let them have the ball their attacking players look beautiful I mean look at the cup game at, at West Ham right they look they look fantastic when you press them hard, yep. don't allow them to play out yep. from the back. They're a mess, you know. And and can't just go. Well, this is the way I play because everyone Absolutely. is going to do it every week. So um, United obviously didn't go long ball at the end of that game. I mean, they played some long passes, but it's a nonsense to suggest they turned into an Allardyce team or whatever. They were they were they were playing pretty sensibly under the circumstances. A massive disappointment that they didn't do it. Um, and they just got to regroup, right? That's it. That's you know you'd expect them to do better at the weekend. And I don't think I don't think we learnt as that people are obsessed with what we learnt from games. I don't think we learnt a huge amount from that game. I don't think it's a massive surprise. Yeah, you haven't done ten things we learned from this game. I haven't. Uh, as a sideshow, I don't. Surely. I don't. I've done plenty of those in my time. I don't think I've ever actually learned anything from watching a game in one game in and of itself. I, I like um, things we observed. That's a, a twist on the uh, on the format, which I like because you can make you know you could easily come up with five interesting observations about that game, but I'm not sure there were five things we learned. Anyway. Um, before we get to listener questions and a preview of Stoke, as I mentioned earlier, I spoke to my good friend Steve Burns, and you can hear that interview right now. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by friend of the show, the former, what was it, deputy editor of Video Gamer, currently uh, running things in video game PR globally. I don't know if that's strictly true. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A lifelong Manchester United devotee and fan of executive seating, Stephen W. Burns. There's there's some, some terrible, terrible slander happening here. 
how dare you say I uh, I work in PR? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I, but I am a fan of executive seeing, which I know w- won't get me on the uh, on the best foot. No, look, I'm sorry. Sometimes I just go to Man United and I'm there. You know, it's look, I prefer to be out because uh, out with the the rest of the fans because those. Oh, that sounds terrible already. Sounds terrible. The boxes. It's like, what's the point? There's seats outside them anyway. That's where everyone goes and sits. Yeah. So you might as well just be in with the uh, the actual fans and not the uh, quote-unquote prawn sandwich brigade. Have you ever been served actual prawn sandwiches? Do you think they actually serve prawn sandwiches in the executive seating? You know what? I don't I don't think they do. I mean, you're basing this all off a, a birthday present that I got that year <laughs> from my terrible girlfriend. slander, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Although I did find it amazing and kind of tardis like that you go to one of the you go to one of the suites or whatever and it's part of the package or whatever and you just open a door and then you're out there in the seating with the rest of the fans but you can't hear a single thing from inside it's just this this one door and it doesn't look like it should open up into something that grand it's a really like bizarre thing but for fergie's last home game i remember when it got announced and did you remember Peter Schmeichel saying, oh, I think it's going to be news about Ronaldo returning? <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I didn't know. I can't believe Peter Schmeichel said something stupid. I'm shocked. <laughs> Probably not, Pete. But yeah, I had to call up and I was like, look, I need a ticket for this, obviously. And they were like, yeah, so does everyone else in the world? It's like, uh, yeah, but whatever you've got. So I had to massively overpay for one of their corporate things or whatever. Um, but yeah, what was what was it like being at that game? Because I wasn't there, and I like asking people about that game. Uh, you know what? It was it was bizarre. When I turned up to the ground, it was a bit a bit like a funeral. Uh, I, f- I found it to be really quiet, which usually it isn't really, and um, a bit deflated, obviously, because it had come around so quickly. Essentially, it wasn't like okay at the you know at the start of the season, like this is going to be the, the last round. It was like oh shit that's happened um but yeah then as the as the match uh, you know as the game got going and the match played out as it did with the united scoring a late winner i think yeah it was really really emotional at that point and then of course there was a whole rooney business as well <laughs> which was incredible but uh yeah it was um where i was sitting there was uh there was a bit of a kerfuffle because someone stood up and was like screaming at people that they needed to make more noise because it was fergie's last home game and like they're making enough noise, mate. And in the end, the stewards had to come over and tell him tell him to quieten down. But yeah, bizarre to begin with a weird mixture of uh, atmospheres and emotions. But special to be there, I bet. Uh, yeah, it really was. I mean, I'm in my uh, office at home now, and I've got the uh, I've got the flag just uh, in that room, the uh, champions flags that they handed out. And uh, yeah, seeing everyone because obviously they did the trophy presentation as well that same day. Yeah, a, a really bizarre because you had. Uh, the presentation but then you also had the realization this would never happen again and i don't mean the title <laughs> although <I'm pretty> sure <laughs> that's in a couple of years uh you know fergie basically at home yeah uh but yeah it was very very bizarre and i was actually like to to speak to a few other people who were there uh because yeah i'm i'm not sure how different it would have been you know if you'd been if you knew what manchester united was like before ferguson was there uh, I think for a lot of the uh, older fans, that would have uh, maybe they have a different spin on it. But yeah, an incredible day and what a way to win as well. Absolutely, uh, it was. Uh, I was put in mind of that when 
we scored the late winner against Borough on his 75th birthday. I was thinking. Oh, just nice. Lovely. Nice. Lovely. I tell you what, he's looking good, you know. Absolutely. I, I see him and I'm like, what the, why did you retire? Get back down. Come on. Come on. Mourinho will, will accept it. <laughs> they have a Bobby Robson, you know, Barcelona deal. You can just, Mourinho will be your translator. And, uh, yeah, you can just get back on with it. I think one of the reasons he looks so well is because he retired. Yes. And he's, uh, very, very rich. <laughs> so. That, that scarf always makes him look incredibly smart as well, doesn't it? I sometimes think about how much that scarf costs. Oh yeah. His, uh, his tailoring is cause you, you know, when he's on the touchline and he's always wearing that hideous, I mean, I can't believe his statue has got that hideous, like integrated zipper nonsense on it but uh but yeah like now when you actually see him sitting in the in the stand and he's got you know a nice a nice tie on you know like, yeah he does look really good and that is what being a globally celebrated knight of the realm who will never ever be beaten will do for you i suppose so um when did you uh what was what are your kind of earliest memories of man united so when i was growing up i lived abroad and uh it was difficult to to watch football really and so what happened was that my dad wasn't really into football but one of his friends was and um and they were from manchester a main night fan so he was like look my son likes football can you can you essentially just take him in um so yeah as in like i was just starting to like get into the game but having didn't have a local team as well because we lived abroad and it was there was no one there to support essentially so anyway they took us in and you know, obviously man united they were big man united fans and yeah just from then on absolutely hooked uh so the the kind of earliest is the is the early 90s sort of thing so not didn't, didn't just turn up in 99 paul if that's what you're saying <laughs> uh, early 90s is still pretty good going I though mean, isn't yeah, it that's, I, listen, that's... I can't help when i was born you make you this is character assassination executives bloody sweets and but yeah it was um it was good and uh it wasn't just that may united were winning you could see what it meant to those people who followed may united and it was a big thing for for them and something that they all watched together and it was just yeah it was just something to look forward to back in the days before complete media saturation of football those kind of early days, you know, just as Sky Sports was coming in. So there was more of it and, you know, the more, the slicker presentation. It looks archaic now, those old uh, early CG graphics, the old Sky Sports ones. But yeah, to, uh, to see what it meant to people and then to be part of that yourself was, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I mean, it could have been worse. I mean, they, you know, they could have been Oxford United fans and I probably, yeah. and then I would have been truly but no, it was uh, it was great. Not just as I say because they're winning, but because it was nice to go out and meet people and enjoy watching football. So, who were your early football heroes? Okay, so now I always, always loved Peter Schmeichel and still do. So, uh, okay. Do you when you say you still do, do you mean you still love the conceptual memory yeah, listen, of Peter Schmeichel or uh, the actual Peter Schmeichel, man? the Colesburg brand ambassador, is not. 
up there in my mind as uh, Peter Schmeichel screaming at Steve Bruce uh, in my mind. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I used to play in goal when I was a kid and then uh, getting a bit older. And yeah, just loved everything about the way he played. He, he was very, he had that unusual style, uh, what seemed unusual at the time. And uh, he was massive and just... I think I enjoyed the fact that he was always screaming at people, to be honest with you, in a team full of screamers as well. So, uh, yeah, always Peter Schmeichel. Um, but I was w- looking back on, you know, the, the old Man United teams or the older ones and going over some of the players, you think, you know what, I actually really, really enjoyed those players. And then they just left and they kind of got deleted a little bit. Uh, one of those in my right. mind, foremost is uh, Konchelskis. I was watching his highlights back, like, yeah. oh, I just forgot how good he was uh, in those years. And then, of course, he got cleared out after the 95 season, I think, along with, was it Hughes and Ince? And then, obviously, the boys came in, and suddenly it was like, oh, so here's the new the new normal. But, yeah, going back over them, I, YouTube is just the, the best thing in the world for that. Just sit down. Crack on Andre Konchelskis' greatest hits or whatever, or Brian Robson or anything, go for it. Uh, Fergie talks a lot about Andre Konchelskis' contract arrangements in his first autobiography, and it is really interesting. Um, and isn't there something to do with his with his brother? Was his brother his I, agent? I'm not sure who his agent. No, I think his agent was a slightly frightening gentleman by the sounds of it. <laughs> and at one point he gave Fergie an envelope and Fergie was like, oh, cheers, thanks. Uh, it's a birthday present or whatever. The time was right. And then Fergie looks in it and there's 30 grand in it. And Fergie kind of absolutely panics and puts it, tells the chairman and they keep it in the club safe until he next visits and they give it him back and all this. But apparently Kanchelskis had... Um, uh, a clause in his second United contract, which said he was entitled to one third of the value of any transfer fee. And his performances substantially dropped after that, leading to an imminent transfer. Um, yes, I had heard um, that part of it. Uh, some There's some really, really shady stuff in some of those contract negotiations. Um, Nicholas Anelka is obviously one of the most famous ones. Um, with that sort of thing. And it's usually if a family member is involved as well. I think Ronaldinho, I uh, can't be 100% sure, like it wasn't his brother or his agent. And you, as soon as you've got a family member involved making financial decisions, you're in trouble. So uh, in the summer, you and I had a lot of conversations about Manchester United's transfer business. And it's fair to say that you were pretty delighted with the direction it took, isn't it? Yes. Uh Putting the transfer fees themselves aside, because I think sometimes we get a bit hooked up on that. It just, it felt, uh, you know, the phrase statement signing is a bit wishy-washy. But with, when you buy Paul Pogba, and, and there was this whole thing about he'd been sold by Manchester United, obviously. But it was just like, okay, Manchester United, by hook or by crook, money, whatever, can still attract the best players. And um, and so it felt good to actually because so many times we've been uh, linked with players of that caliber and then you get right to the very end and you've got Gerard Houllier allegedly trying to get Benzema in and he just goes, nah, I'm off to Real Madrid. So it was nice. I, throughout the entire thing, I was like, he'll go to Real Madrid. Like, and the, you know, 
supposedly last minute he'll he'll end up at one of the uh, Spanish giants there. But so it's nice to see it all concluded. I could have done without the uh, the media stuff around it. You know, I like Stormzy, but I didn't really need that whole uh, Stormzy Pogba it's thing. The best moment of the season so far, Steve. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this. One. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from a from a marketing perspective, it, it was absolutely golden. I think that's when I knew that he was definitely joining Man United. A, because it's obvious, and B, because I'm not sure Adidas wants to annoy Manchester United by (laughs) trashing them (laughs) Uh, in an advert with a player they may not sign. But that was, yeah, that was great. And, you know, Mkhitaryan, uh, another great signing as well. I think he's, all this about, oh, you know, he's not done well at Man United. They're going to sell him. It's like, Manchester United are not going to sell him, and now he's come back into the team and uh, played really well. But I I was delighted because Man United had had set their targets, it seemed, and then gone and actually got them. And in, in even under Ferguson, that, that didn't always happen. No, it definitely felt like a function of the summer's biggest signing, and, and that was Mourinho. You're, you're a, a Mourinho fan, right? Yes, I think he was, at the start of the season, I think he was a bit too inclined to to be, to sulk, and to... Uh, and, you know, the siege mentality that people often talk about with him um, can backfire. It backfired massively in his last season at Chelsea, obviously, because the players then, just, he, well, I can't say for certain he lost the dressing room, but you look at what those players are doing now as opposed to what they were doing then. I mean, come on. If he didn't lose the dressing room, he badly misplaced it, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about has he, has he lost it? Has the game passed him by? Um is this like older school against siege mentality and sulking and it's us against them. Is that, is that going to work anymore? But I think, you know, in the last two months in particular, he's, he's, he's realized, I think what his best team is or close to it. Uh, the players are playing for him and suddenly he doesn't, you know, he seems like the old Mourinho again. I think that Chelsea run really took a lot out of him. And there was a whole business with Real Madrid as well. And he started to appear very bitter and uh, yeah, it didn't, he never seemed like that. He seemed he was a, a bit of a before, but he never seemed bitter. He always seemed quite sure of himself and knew what he was doing. And then maybe he started to question himself. So I was happy when he was appointed, and um, I didn't really doubt him. I thought I think the job at Manchester United is a lot lot bigger than than what people really realise. And it's not just about the players on the field. It's about the dressing room and it's about training and it's about the little cliques and certain uh, aging forwards uh, who now play in midfield allegedly leaking stuff to the press you know briefing against whoever and a lot of that was rife I think at Manchester United after Ferguson left and so to come out but what you don't want to do is just clear everyone out straight away because then you've got different problems so i think he's played it pretty smartly but the downside of that is yeah the performances won't always be amazing and with Mourinho and manchester united and pogba and all the rest of it you probably expected them after the first three games as well to go on a mad run but they didn't so but i think i think he's doing well now i think we're gonna if we if we get out into February and, you know, this form, not just the run, but the form, the way they're playing continues, then I'm, I'm very positive about the future. It's, it's a, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Cause it's, cause it really has been a while. I mean, we're recording this before the Liverpool game. So I guess that 
could change change some stuff one way or another. But it's uh, it's just nice to feel optimistic about United again. Yeah, I, and what it is as well is I think the players themselves feel much more optimistic about just getting out there and playing for Manchester United. I mean, I know that they have to play with Fellaini at times, but uh, I was at the West Ham game and the players were, were really confident. I mean, West Ham aren't the greatest team this season, but they, they've still got players who can, you know, Pae in particular, who can, um, who can damage you. But crucially, both the fans, well, certainly myself and the players, it always felt that there was another gear that you could go into, whether that was substitutions or, you know, the players on the field. And in the seasons after Fergie, before this one, it didn't feel, it felt like what was starting, that was it. And if it didn't work, well, you were stuffed, basically. Yeah. So uh, what was the atmosphere like at the West Ham game? Because that seemed like a pretty uh, pretty odd occasion. That whole, was that your first time at the new London Stadium? It was, yeah. Uh, so I've been to uh, to West Ham quite a bit, um, and it was first. It was really odd because the stadium is obviously very modern, and Upton Park was not very modern. So I was at Upton Park to see uh, to see Man United lose last season and scupper their hopes of the Champions League, which was great. Uh, but yeah, so the atmosphere is in the ground is is completely different because it was like a Warren at Upton Park and it wasn't modern at all. And that, I think a, a lot of the fans miss that. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot to be said about modern stadia and all of that, but you know, there's a lot of history in those walls and, you know, it's going to take time. Uh, I didn't have too much trouble with the, um, the running track or, you know, the seating, but uh, the atmosphere, there's been a lot of problems at West Ham this season. I'll tell you what, the West Ham fans were not impressed, as you probably saw on television or heard on the radio, with Mike Dean's performance. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard a referee get a slating like that. It was just crazy. And you probably couldn't hear it on the te- – or maybe you could. But there was someone who, after every decision that was made, would uh, uh, he uh, that went against West Ham – They'd wait for the uh, the crowd noise in general to die down and then just shout the C word as loud as they could. Um, and it is like a piercing shriek. And it was like when you used to watch Arsenal and any time someone went through on Arsenal's goal, you'd hear that woman screaming. Uh, on the t- It was like that, but just with, you know, that word. It was uh, so. But yeah, the, the atmosphere when um, obviously when we won was incredible. And it, I think that's a function of everyone is confident. And United got very, very lucky in that game. It wasn't a red card, I don't think. And uh, Zlatan was offside. But it doesn't matter. Like, the, the confidence is building and you could see it in the in the fans at the end as well. Uh, so what is your prediction for where we're going to finish this season? <sighs> you know what? Uh, so hard, isn't it? I know. I have no idea what, well, when people ask me, I've got no idea what to say. Yeah, I don't know. Because there's so, it used to be, there was, uh, if you look at, one thing is really interesting, the old points totals that would have won you the league. Yeah. You know, it seemed like in the early 2000s, if you got 16 points, you'd win the league by 15. <laughs> um, but now it's just, there are, you know, in the, in the last few seasons, there are teams that are getting points that are much higher than previous uh, winners of the league, Manchester United, and finishing third, you know. So, you know what? 
the the answer is I don't have a clue. And I, but I do think that we're going to have a a lot clearer indication uh, come Sunday night. Yeah, and by the time uh, by the time people are listening to this, they'll 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 know what that was. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I'm. In terms of how I feel about the the game itself, Liverpool Man United can go either way, you know, or it can just be really boring, as yeah. uh, the '96 FA Cup final, one of the most boring in history, saved by a spectacular goal. Um, but it's nice. Yeah, I don't know. It, the effect of memory is nice because the '96 FA Cup final is just enshrined in two distinct mem- memories: one Liverpool on the pitch in white suits, two Cantona scoring that goal, and everything that happened in between is kind of blanked out by the passage of time. Yes, uh, all I, you know what I, I think I remember Jamie Redknapp skying a shot over the bar. I think that's all I've got for the rest of the game. That sounds uh, like it could have happened in. Most Jamie Redknapp <laughs> But, um, yeah. All right. I, uh, I really don't know. And Liverpool were very poor um, in the week uh, against uh, Southampton in the Cup. So, but then again, they, you know, they do have the ability to just turn it on. So, you know, obviously hate losing. Uh, in any case, to Liverpool, that really uh, stings. I think if we can get past Liverpool, if we can beat them, then in terms of the confidence and that's all it is. I think this season is like football is such an unbelievably confidence led game. Yeah. The uh, Bournemouth Arsenal game. So, you know, Arsenal three nil down and then they score one goal and Bournemouth just go to pieces. You're like, what are you doing? You kill to be two goals up again, you know, against uh, Arsenal at that time when they, you know, conceded the, uh, the first. And so I think that if Manchester United, no matter how they do it, can beat Liverpool, then then anything can happen, really. Um, all right. So, listeners, I've got Steve on the phone, so I'm going to have to talk about video games a bit. So if you have no interest in video games, just skip forward 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. We won't be offended. Um, but if you do like them, then stay tuned. Uh, so, Steve, you are... I very often get asked the question... You know, when I talk about video games, oh, do you play FIFA? And my answer is always, no, I, I play PES. And sometimes people ask me why. And so I grew up playing playing video games. I, me and Ed used to play Match Day 2 on the Amstrad CPC 464, uh, which is an incredible <laughs> game, uh, or was in 1987 or 8. Um, and then, you know, I graduated through through the gears, Sensible Soccer and Kickoff. Um, and, then, uh, and then I really loved International Superstar Soccer. That was like a breakthrough game for me but I stopped playing games before my last football game really was International Superstar Soccer 64 and by the time I got a a system again which was the tail end of the PS2 era um, I don't know if I got a football game then but when I when I got an Xbox 360 everyone said FIFA's the best now and I was like okay fair enough I'll, I'll pick up FIFA and I was like oh I don't think I like modern football games I think they've just got all complicated and then a few years down the line mm. Pez was free on on PS Plus on the on the, the last one on the PlayStation 3 yeah. and I was like oh I love this this is great and that wasn't even a particularly good Pez I think it's just I didn't not like football games I just didn't like FIFA so why is Pez better yeah. than FIFA Steve so uh, this question can I it's hmm how to say it without sounding like a basically. So in 
in FIFA, everything is is meant to replicate the uh, the experience of watching football. So uh, that obviously they've got the official Premier League uh, licensing, and they everything about it is geared towards not actually really just simulating football, but simulating everything that goes on around it. So at halftime, Martin Tyler might tell you about what's coming up next week or whatever. And the problem with that is that that they strive for realism, but it starts to hurt the game. So you'll get moments where you a player will get tackled and the ball will break out. So your striker, you know, if he's a hold-up player, may get tackled and go down, but the ball will break to a winger or, you know, your number 10. And the sometimes the, the player will start, you know, remonstrating with the referee while still sitting down. But you've got the ball and you want to maybe pass back to him. And it's mm. that sort of thing, this desire for for realism that's kind of that's in FIFA. Uh, Pez, on the other hand, goes for what I would consider to be authenticity. Now, it doesn't have the licenses, no, and its presentation isn't the greatest in the world. But its gameplay is not oh, – it, it wants to replicate football, but it doesn't mind if everything's not animated. You know, it might be animated 99% of the way and not 100%, knowing that those animations have to blend together. And one of FIFA's main problems is the players feel 40 feet wide. They're hitboxes because you can't, it's difficult to go around players in FIFA because they're, the animations, you know, players are always throwing arms out and grabbing you or, you know, just in general, it, to get in and out of various animations, from, especially from sprinting to stopping and everything, it just takes that tiny bit too long. And Pez's animations and shooting and everything is just a little bit clipped to allow it to to just play and it feels smoother. But one of Pez's main problems is, is that when you watch it, it can sometimes because of that appear quite robotic, but when you play it, it makes perfect sense because when you're playing, you're not just watching it. You're considering where's the next pass, who's doing this. And there's like 25 different things you're processing. And so the ability to get in and out of the, to execute those things very quickly makes it feel amazing but i do think just watching it sometimes like oh that looks a bit odd but playing it makes perfect sense so yeah, yeah it's a very long-winded way of saying that uh pez's reliance uh fever's reliance on like over realism harms it. i mean this year's game's pretty good i play it quite a lot when i go around to my friend's house play it in the uh, in co-op league it's you know it's good it's fun some of the goals you can score are brilliant but it just doesn't have that thing that Pez has. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating is that especially uh, sort of having had a massive break from football video games. But anyway, even if I hadn't, I think this is is really the last five years. The modelling of individual player abilities is is incredible. The kind of the the sense. I don't know what, whether this is the same in FIFA. I imagine that it is in fact. Because uh, I guess this is replicable, but the sense that when you're when you you've got Paul Pogba in your team, your team is going to be much better because that little sprite guy can do some Paul Pogba stuff. Um, and our, my friend Benno scored Henrik Mkhitaryan's scorpion kick goal on Pez about in in like October. Um, so you know, <laughs> it's that I, I don't get quite how they do this, but it's it's real good. Yeah, it's uh, so with. They do do it in in FIFA, but one of the criticisms of FIFA used to be that the players didn't feel distinct enough. There there was only seemingly um, two attributes which would be you know adjusted. So the either you know they ran faster, or they you know 
or they were slightly better at shooting. Um, so with which is why when you played online, you would always play as Real Madrid and just and, or even Aston Villa um, with Abonahor. You just knock the ball over and then they would run twice as fast as the defenders and you would pretty much always score. With uh, Pez, the the modelling of the of the players, they call it player ID. Uh, you know, in the older games, it used to be quite rudimentary. So you'd have something called a middle shooting star, which basically meant Paul Skulls could pank one in from anywhere, which was quite realistic. Um, but then that got a, that evolved and it got a bit more. Uh, and so you started to get player specific animations, uh, the Ronaldo uh, free kick, obviously. Um, but yeah, the Robin Van Persie run with his arms out to the sides. That, that was one which always struck me. Yeah, so they, uh, Pez does that really well, and I think Pez's character models are also incredible. Incredible. The facial scanning tech is amazing, especially on Neymar. Uh, but with the, um, yeah, with regards to the player attributes, I always thought that Pez got that nailed. You know, so may, you know, you you might have been playing as like Alan Scheller or whatever, or uh, Ryan Greggs. <laughs> but it kind of felt like you know they'd have a specific animation, or they would be they would be quicker or stronger, um, uh, or they would have something that differentiated them that wasn't that felt that felt not just purely physical. And it's what you're talking about. It's like you knew if so. I always used to buy Roberto Carlos. He was my first buy on original and in early Pezes when you could only play with the original Master League team because I knew that I could play him up front to score and then put him at the back. But the, the Pezes player ID system and everything always got that right. And that's why signing players on Pez feels really good because, as you say, if you get a Pogba, you're like, this is, gonna, this is actually going to change the dynamic of the midfield and not just the attributes of you know, one particular player swapping out for another. Yeah. It's good. Uh, what would you like to see happen in football video games? What are the things that you've kind of thought over the years? This is this is where it needs to go. So I want the return of the deliberate foul button, you know, from okay. FIFA. The old FIFA was bad, but, you know, two-third tackle is great. Um, <laughs> I really, you know what? I want Pez to have a five-a-side mode. Okay. Uh, I really do want that. Um, again, FIFA had that old five-a-side mode, which everyone loved. Uh, yeah, I would like. It seems bizarre. Pez Street. Uh, yeah, like not trick orientated, really, just a smaller scale version. Um, but yeah, in terms of you know what thing things that can actually be accomplished, I would like. <sighs> there needs to be, and they do both of the both development teams for Pez and FIFA do work on this. So, you know, a bit of dynamism in the kind of later years of careers, right? So I, you know, I don't really play uh, online, but I play loads of Master League on Pez. And after a little while, it, you know, you do feel like you're just going, you know, through the numbers. But uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's they they're kind of getting to the point now where they have to make a real choice. Do they do they just go for realism and keep going because people expect the, you know TV style stuff? Or do they abstract it slightly? And I think that's where both that the natural option for either of those is Pez or FIFA. So really, you just have to pick your poison on that one. But I just wish for a bit more dynamism, as I said, in, uh, in career modes. And anyway, everyone knows the secret best football video game is Rocket League anyway. So, you know. Oh, my <laughs> word. 
7 out of 10. That, that is your... Uh, I totally understand why you gave it a 7 out of 10. I, I, compl- I read your review. I was like, yeah, no, that all makes sense. But if ever a 10 out of 10 video game got put into the world, it's Rocket League. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Rocket League is actually a, a really, really interesting game in terms of its design. And I think it's one of those games that, that proved how how strong services like PS Plus could be. So when it came out, when uh, I was reviewing it, that community that it has now, that skill level, all of that wasn't really there because it was brand new, um, essentially. Uh, and so having seen what sprung up around it, you know what? I think if I was to re-review it, because my, my problems weren't with the game itself, the the way it played or anything. I thought it was fascinating. It was just more what you could do with it. Having said that, I do think that that's a game with an extraordinarily long tail. Uh, I was at the Games BAFTAs where it won about 6,000 of them. And yeah, I think, you know, with everything that's happened post-release, it's probably a much better experience yeah. than it was. So, I mean, I also think it's a great game for people who play video games but don't like football video games but love football because it ha- again it has that abstraction of what you love about football without having to faff around you know spending all your time scouting buying managing the contracts of you know Ronaldo or Messi or whatever so you get the buzz of football without any of the nonsense surrounding it so I completely get it it's a much better simulator and this is ridiculous in a way but it's a much better simulator of being a footballer because what you have to do is you know you're one person and you have to learn skills and practice them in a way that yes. you, you don't that's not how football video games work you know um you have to get better at mechanics to be good at football video games but it's a different thing like in rocket league you have to sit in the training mode and knock the ball against the wall over and over again like you do learning to play football now whether there's an argument which says it would have been better if i'd spent the last year and a half kicking a football against a wall <laughs> <laughs> listen i'll take it my five thousand games of rocket league or whatever it is but still i I agree 100. percent If it was, if it was had an analog, it was closest to anything. I'd say it was uh, be a pro mode yeah. or be a legend. Yeah. So playing in that in that role, I always used to play in goal. Right. Uh, in Rocket League. See, this is that's very uh, that's uh, very 2015. That is Steve. No one plays in goal anymore. Yeah. Well, I know the yeah. game has evolved. <laughs> Um, but what I found, and this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about about the community and the uh, evolution of play and what you can and what you can do in the game, is that it would frustrate people yeah. to play specifically in goal, yeah. and that I find, as I said before, fascinating about the game and how it mimics the trends of how football uh, like changes in terms of its tactical approach to stuff. Mm. So you know, it is. In a way, I see. I see what people say when it's when people say it's the best football game of all time. I totally get it. It's a it's a really really interesting video game, and the, the developers deserve every success. They do indeed, and so do you, Steve. Thank you very much for sharing your time. Thank you, and so do you, Paul. <laughs> Cheers, man. Now you've stitched me up. <laughs> it's a sandwich, executive stuff. That's it. I'm dead now. It's over. Wait until this goes out. Who's who is this guy? <laughs> Brill, thanks, Dave. We'll get you back on the show soon. No worries. Thanks for having me.
A massive thanks uh, to Steve for taking time to do that with us. And you can follow him on Twitter at the Steve Bernio. You should do it, especially if you like games and uh, acerbic takes on them. Very good. So, uh, should we take a bunch of listener questions, Ed? Well, if we must. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yes, absolutely. Because uh, as uh, one, one listener told us this week, we should know our place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suspect he might not be listening this week. We, we, we got the hate mail I fully assumed we would be getting after last week's show. It was upsettingly inaccurate. Um, anyway... Uh, at Cryptic Android says, do you like slash dislike it when Mourinho heads down the tunnel early at half time? He's yeah, just, I'm, he's I'm, a weirdo, I'm not sure at the he? point. Yeah, I'm not sure at the point. You know, it kind of feels like, because it's not as if he went down the tunnel with the players. I mean, he's making them warm up for about 15 minutes before half time. He ran off on his own. It's not like he was taking the, the guys who were coming on and, and it turned out to just be Rooney uh, to go and give them a good tactical pep talk. It feels like a, some kind of statement from Mourinho it's kind of odd isn't it you know I'd I'd trying I was trying not to read too much into it but he's done it a few times I don't really see unless he's getting into the dressing room to wind himself up to launch the hairdryer I feel like it is a bit that a little bit I think he might just want to go for a wee before everyone gets back into the dressing room just so he can concentrate fully yeah um if Twitter had been around 20 years ago what would the hashtag keen promotional campaign have been like a prod? They would, yeah there definitely would Being have been skewered there definitely would have been a hashtag Beckham no doubt about it uh at MUFC and tonic says uh what did you make of the spider cam's debut performance will he grow into the role in time yeah, the first ever Premier League outing for Spider-Cam. Uh, I didn't notice it being used to great effect, I must say, but I might not have been paying close enough attention. Hmm. Uh, did you see any good Spider-Cam footage? Did it do anything? Uh, no. No, okay. At George Woodger says, what does Ed look like? Devastatingly handsome. It's pretty it's pretty accurate, to be honest. At Raj Player, uh, long balls or long bushes? <laughs> Were they long balls or long pushes in that game? Well, I think the long balls were what Louis showed the Bayern dressing room that time. <laughs> I, I mean, it was. I think it, if you had to call it one thing or the other, it was closer to long pushes than long balls. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this was not just aimlessly launching it. Although maybe the spider cam was told us something different. Does, does it, was the spider cam in action all the time or just for the pen? Mm, the pen they always shoot from behind, don't they? They've got long long range cameras on the yeah, other side yeah. on the opposite roofs. The spider cam is like the shots that kind of whiz across in, while it's in action. But maybe it broke down because I didn't see too much too much spider cam action. Um, at underscore Langerman says, when did De Gea last actually save a penalty? Haven't seen the numbers, but he feels like he doesn't stop many. I mean, I don't think many keepers stop many penalties, do they? Uh, about ninety two percent of penalties are scored. Yeah, there you go. Um, the last one, I believe, I mentioned this on Twitter, but the last one was uh, FA Cup semi final against Everton, right? And before that, then might have been against Everton in the league, actually against Leighton Baines. He he went the right way. I mean, it's a very a yeah. very well struck penalty. You know, I don't think he yeah. should be saving that one. Really, You'd, he would have had to go earlier. Well, one thing I would say about Dave is maybe he does stand and try and anticipate the ball, right, rather than just flying across the one. You know, if you just take your chances and go left 50% of the time or right 50% of the time, you're going to save a few. 
I guess. You are, but if you don't move at all, then you're going to save all the ones that go down the middle and all the ones that are badly struck that you wouldn't get on either side. So it's true. So you're then own, only really not saving the great ones. Um, at Phil Anwell, how do we solve our goal-scoring issues in the league? Jose's doing a fine job, but 32 in 21 games isn't good enough. No. Interesting. Interesting take. No, very true. You know, and I think some of it... Sorry, you're not going to like this, but I think some of it's to the, down to the way that United play. So there's a lot of focus on Zlatan through the middle, and he's got a lot of goals for United, and he's a football genius. Uh, but it is going to slow United's attack through the centre down. It does slow United's attack through the centre down. And I think that's part of the reason why United aren't scoring bucket loads of goals. There's plenty of talent. The other thing is the players, the big players who need to score lots of goals who are not Zlatan need to score lots of goals, right? So Pogba's not scoring many this season. Herrera's not scoring many. Martial's got six, I think. Rashford's got hardly any. Mkhitaryan's got you know, three or four since he came into the side, but not for a couple of games now. So United need more goals from all around the team. Yeah, I'm, I didn't, my computer isn't quick enough to fire up a custom table because my instinct is probably that actually, if you look at our average goals scored over the last, you know, over the second half of the season so far, you would have seen a, a decent sized uptick, but I don't know if that's true or not. So I'm just speculating because I think some of these issues have been addressed and actually we're scoring at a, perfectly reasonable rate for now yeah and and you know we the uptick in form came with a change in formation didn't it um and actually during the second half yesterday he went back to the old formation um and actually got some control so what do we know yeah well well, it's horses for courses isn't it think different football matches require different solutions oh this is this would be nice at jacob brunt favorite pogba moment so far he's had he's had a difficult week pogba but there's been plenty of good moments so far um i think one of his one of his assists for ibrahimovic probably uh that goal against swansea my goodness that was good yeah uh, just his all-round range of passing and contribution to the team over the last 10 games or so he, let's let's not forget he has been very good uh, over united's good period yeah no absolutely no, I no completely need to agree. Panic. Uh, Nick at Nick Gilbert eighty six. A question we sort of talked about earlier, but uh, Mourinho not doing so well against the big sides, where he used to kind of be a um, what he, Nick says a master versus the elite in the past. Um, he's often this time he's often got it right versus inferior opponents. Right. It's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy, isn't it? It's it's, it's unusual, and, and you wonder whether this will improve. Has to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. At C Armband, a Liverpool fan. Hi, Chris. Do you guys hate the United Liverpool fixture as much as I do? Too much animosity, pressure, and hype. No, I quite like it. Uh, yeah, I mean that all. I, I like the animosity and the pressure. The hype's kind of grating, but if you uh, if you ignore most of that, it's very good. Merseyside versus Manchester, Ed. Merseyside versus Manchester. Uh, yeah, it's such a nonsense, isn't it? At Sep and R says, how nice is it to know that Pogba won't ever perform that badly again? <laughs> well, he might. <laughs> yeah, he might. I think that there might be one more. Um, at bifurcated underscore MBM says, oh, why are there no colour pictures of the moon? <laughs> Hashtag rank cast. They're all colour pictures of the moon. <laughs> are they? It's just <laughs> the moon's grey. The moon's grey. <laughs> I see, I see what you did there. Uh, at Gary underscore 1105, this question will, I'm going to keep asking this question. It's going to come up time and time again in the months and years ahead. De Gea's distribution against Liverpool is very good. Is he maybe our best ever keeper? Uh, well, there's a bit of a non sequitur, isn't it? 
Yep, uh, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that. I was quite enjoying that non sequitur. Yes, uh, his distribution was very good. I, I, yeah, so the funny thing is, when he first came to United, one of his highest qualities was his distribution. He's a very good passer. And I think, you know, he got a bit of... Uh, knocking his confidence and he made a few mistakes on the ground and it seemed to affect his reputation and or his sort of thinking he started whacking it long um i think that's a very good outfit outlet for united i think he's very accurate with his kicking more so when he can just pass it than under pressure yeah and as for whether he's our best ever keeper peter schmeichel was a revolutionary goalkeeper it's gonna take a while before he unseats Schmeichel and, like you said a yeah. while ago, he's going to have to win a load of stuff too. I, and I think that does matter. I mean, you know, of course, objectively, just quality of keeper's got nothing to do with winning anything, but it makes a difference in terms of stature, impact and all of that. So uh, I think a few trophies and then we can have that debate. For now, Schmeichel's the best for me. Uh, me too. Two, two more questions. Uh, another one from Gary, actually. Uh, this is just because we forgot to put this in the running order, but we should have been talking about it all along. Uh, Fellaini contract expen- extension, question mark, question mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Yeah. It's just about money, so, isn't it? So I, I think it's just about protecting the value of the asset. Um, so, I mean, look, Jose's talked about how important he is. Some of the other players have done that as well. You know, he's clearly very popular and they rallied around him after the, you know, boo gate, uh, which should never have happened. Um, and... You know, in limited fashion, in the right circumstances, he's a, he's a weapon, like he was against Liverpool. What I really don't like is when he's playing at number six because it just ruins everything around it. I mean, uh, he, I mean, look, he's clearly not good enough with the ball at his feet uh, to, to be a United player. Now, when the ball's whacked at his chest, he's world-class. I've never seen anyone with a better chest than uh, Marian Fellaini, and he's pretty good in the air, you know, in the right situation. You know, very, very good flick on, very unlucky not to score against Liverpool. Yeah, an amazing header against Hull in in the week as well. And and you know, the main thing about this contract extension is that this is not a symbol of the club going backwards in the transfer market or lacking ambition or, you know, any of that kind of nonsense. This is just, it's a complete no-brainer that you activate the year contract extension. The Patrice Evra contract extension was extend, was was activated a week before he left for Juventus, wasn't it? So, you know, it's it kind of doesn't actually mean he's not going in the summer, although... I don't think he's going in the summer, but it's not because of this contract extension that I don't think. No, what it is not is a new five-year contract at 300 a- grand abs- a week. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I know why I picked that number. It's just a number floating around. And last question from a friend of the show, at Hannah May J, who has been drawing um, every goal United score, um, drawing the scorer, striking the ball, pretty much every, every one of those, a few celebrations. Um, and uh, she says, uh, so if you search for hashtag gift of a goal, uh, they're raising money. There's, there's people doing it for lots of different teams. Uh, Hannah's doing these lovely pencil drawings of United goals. Um, and she says she's considering calling the collection of her United drawings Fifty Shades of Zlatan. Can you do any better? Because it has been an awful lot of drawings of Zlatan Ibrahimovic this season. Um, can we do better than Fifty Shades of Zlatan? It's just kind of in my mind. I'm thinking Zlatan in bondage gear getting spanked. Mm, it's not a comp. Not 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 sure. I really want no, that. Okay, so I mean, if that's the kind of thing that floats your boat, great. Yeah. 
but no, maybe not Fifty Shades of Zlatan. Um, the, the Many Moods of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> That's a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> the Many Moods of George Costanza. I think it's pretty clear that we can't do any better. Listeners, over to you. Um, right, having heard from the listeners, we turn our attention to United's next game. Uh, and a massive one it is too, as every game this season pretty much is going to be. Uh, we travel to take on uh, Manchester United Legends team, a fallen Manchester United legend in Mark Hughes. Um, we're going to Stoke. How are they doing in the league at the moment, Ed? Mid- mid-table, about where they should be in terms of their budget. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I saw some of the Stoke game at the weekend um, and uh, they played all right. They played all right. Peter Crouch, you know. He's back. Wow. He's back. Peter Crouch, Crouch is. is. back. Uh, yeah, so you know they they are they are Stoke basically. They're about a mid ranked side. Um, uh, Hughes has got them playing some decent football. But funny thing is, like recently they haven't been playing an awful lot of their sort of higher quality players for one reason or another. Athlai's been injured, and um, uh, Kerchich isn't in the team. Probably going to leave. Has he left yet? Probably going to leave. Um, there's uh, yeah, number number of the sort of what you expect to be there more talented players haven't been in the side and they've they've been getting decent results. They're um, after Saido Berahino, only the 437th club to make a bid for Berahino. He's going to leave on a free transfer, isn't he? Having hardly played for West Brom in the last three years or something. I don't know why Tony Pulis hates Saido Berahino so much. He, he, he's made, he's a one-man mission to ruin that kid's life. Uh, Hughes loves Peter Crouch. Um, and you know what's not to love about Peter Crouch as well? Like one of football's most lovable characters, um, and a, a specific and unique threat that it feels like United should be pretty well uh, set up to deal with. But you know, I don't know. I just I would expect United to be very much on the front foot in this game. I've just had a quick scan, yeah, of course, scan through Stoke's fixtures, and they've not really picked up a big scalp uh, at home. No, no, they lost to Chelsea, they lost to Liverpool, lost to Arsenal, all on the road. Um, but uh, you know, look, this isn't the Britannia of old where they're going to launch it into the wind. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Hughes has got them playing some decent football, and they're about mid-table, which is where they should be. So United, given the desperate need for points, desperately need to be on the front foot in this game. Absolutely have to be. And I would expect a starting eleven similar to the one that started against Liverpool, really. Don't see too many reasons to change that. I mean, I really hope that Mourinho... Because Martial didn't play badly in that game uh, at all, I didn't think. Um, there's a couple of moments where he could have maybe done a little better in the last moment, but but he looked on it to me. Um, and so I, I kind of really hope he starts. Um, and I can't I can't see big changes anywhere else. Maybe Blint comes back, but this would seem a weird one to to bring Blint back for. I, I think I think we might see an unchanged side, assuming no injuries. Yeah, maybe. I mean. Matter might come in for Martial. That's the uh, that's the obvious change. But I think in midfield, depending on Carrick's sort of fitness, uh, I mean he wasn't pulled off with an injury, but uh, assuming that uh, everything's all right there, Carrick, Carrera, and Pogba is the the three. Jones and Rojo are the two at the back. 
and and the fullbacks, mm-hmm. you know, Valencia is definitely one, and the other one changes around. There aren't too many positions where too much changes. I wouldn't expect five or six changes for this game, given they've got a week off. Yeah, absolutely. Stoke, on the other hand, you know, they've they've got some of their key players coming back. You know, so Afalai's had a few games after a long time out with you know, injury. Shakiri's coming back. Um, uh, Arnautovic had some time out as well, didn't he? So now back. Some of their better players are coming back. Still, United should be winning. Yeah, absolutely. We are going to try and get the podcast, uh, next week's podcast, out in good time for the whole game, which is not until Thursday night, weirdly. And we play on Thursday night and then Saturday afternoon this week. It's just bizarre. Uh, not this week, but the week after. So we'll, we'll do another podcast after Stoke before the whole game. Hence, no whole preview here. Uh, otherwise, I think that's pretty much all the business we need to attend to this week, isn't it, Ed? It is. It's Sunday for the FA Cup game against Wigan, so ah, a little, right, bit, a little right, bit of extra right, time. Right. Yeah, fine. The club took it for age an age to work out the uh, the timing of that game, but uh, Sunday against Wigan, and you'd expect uh, United to be able to rest a few players for that one. Oh yeah, and um, I don't know if you've seen this, Ed, but the the run of all our FA Cup games being on telly is in jeopardy. Uh, I think if City don't win and get in, like the way it's set up is, I think if if one of the teams wins, it might be Bolton in a replay, actually, not City. Uh, City are playing one of two clubs and if it's Bolton, that game will be on the telly. But if it's the other team, they'll be on the, I don't know, we'll be on the telly. So it's all up for grabs, that that. Hundred and million matches in a row of United being on TV in the FA Cup that everyone gets so upset about. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's it's, it's like winning fourth place, isn't it? It's the real trophy. <laughs> Um, so I said that's it from us of course it's not it from us if you are a backer on Patreon a few people have signed up this week um, so thank you very much to everyone that's done that uh, patreon.com slash rantcast uh, you can head over there and sign up to uh, premium backers content stuff every week at the end of the show we do we do a little extra bit and there's also various uh, trinkets of rantcast merchandise which you can sign up to and I will eventually make sure all of them get to everyone they're meant to get to um, the tubes came Ed the tubes came for sending out the uh, the posters this week so that's that's on the docket for this weekend awesome stuff yeah when, when are we going to start like flogging the merch you know, just separately, just yeah, to yeah, we'll have to come up with all new merchandise because the Patreon merchandise is exclusive, it's the only way you can get it, never to be resold. But yeah, we might come up with some stuff if people want merch. Um, high quality print that Cal will do us of uh, Donald Trump <laughs> kicking a ball, how depressing. Uh, on that cheery note, backers, stay tuned for more. We're going to talk about stand-up comedy this week. I'm very excited to do that. Uh, everyone else, we will see you next week. <laughs>